Chapter 3 of The Gray Man This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rick Vina The Gray Man by S. R. Crockett Chapter 3 The Second Taunting of Spur Hill Now I shall ever affirm that there was not in all this realm of Scotland since the young Queen Mary came out of France, of whom our grandfathers yet make boast, and rise from their chairs with their natural strength unabated as they tell, so lovely a maid as Marjorie Kennedy, the elder of the two remaining daughters of Sir Thomas, the tutor of Cassilis. Ever since I came to the house of Culain, I could have lain down gladly and let her walk over me, this even when I was but a boy, and much more when I grew nigh to eighteen, and had all the heart and some of the experience of a man in the things of love. And how the lads and knights came a-wooing her, I, even belted earls like Glencairn and Eglinton, but Marjorie gave them no more than the bend of a scornful head or the waft of a white hand, for she had a way with her that moved men's brains to a very fantasy of desire. For myself, I declare that when she came down and walked in the garden, I became like a little waggling puppy dog, so great was my desire to attract her attention. Yet she spoke to me but seldom, being of a nature as noble as it was reserved. Silent and grave, Marjorie Kennedy mostly was, with the luster of her eyes turned more often on the far sea edges than on the desirable young men who rode their horses so gallantly over the green sward to the landward gate of Culain. But it is not of Marjorie Kennedy, whom with all my heart I worshipped, and do worship spite of all, that I have at this time most to tell. It happened on this day that, late in the afternoon, Sir Thomas, my master, came out of the chamber where ordinarily he did his business, and commanded me to prepare his arms, and also bid the grooms have the horses ready, for us two only, at seven of the clock. That will be just at the darkening, I said, for I thought it a strange time to be setting forth when the country was so unsettled with the great feud between the Kennedys of Cassilis and the young laird of Bargany and his party. Just at the darkening, he made answer, very shortly indeed, as though he would have minded me that the time of departure was no business of mine, which indeed it was not. So I oiled and snapped the pistolets, and saw that the swords moved easily from their sheaths. Thereafter I prepared my own hackbutt, and set the match ready in my belt. I was ever particular about my arms, and of those of my lord as well, for I prided myself on never having been faulted in the performing of my duty, however much I might slip in other matters that touched not mine honour as a soldier." Once or twice, as I rubbed or caressed the locks with a feather and fine oil thereon, I was aware of a lightly shod foot moving along the passage without, 
I knew well that it was the lassie, Helen, anxious, as I judged, to make up the quarrel, or perhaps, with yet more evil in her heart, wishful to try my temper worse than before. Presently she put her head within the door, but I stood with my back to her, busy with my work at the window. I would not so much as look up. Indeed, I cared nothing about the matter, one way or the other, for why should a grown man and a soldier care about the glecks and puppet-plays of a lassie of sixteen? She stayed still by the door a moment, waiting for me to notice her, but I did not, whereat at last she spoke. "'You're a great man this day, Spurhill,' she said tauntingly. "'Did you roll your leg yestreen to waken you in time to bring home the greaves, lassie?' I may as well tell the origin now of the name Spurheel, by which at this time she ordinarily called me. It was a nothing, and it is indeed not worth the telling. It chanced that, for my own purpose, I desired to wake one night at a certain time, and because I was a sound sleeper, I tied a spur to my heel, thinking that with a little touch I should waken as I turned over. But in the night I had a dream— I dreamed that the foul fiend himself was riding me, and I kicked so briskly to dismount him that I rolled myself most cruelly. Thus I was found in the morning lying all naked, having gashed myself most monstrously with the spur, which has been a cast-up against me with silly people ever since. Now this is the whole tale why I was called Spur-Heel, and in it there was no word of the Greaves' daughter though Kate Allison was a bonny, well-favoured lass too, and that I will maintain, in spite of all the jibes of Helen Kennedy. I will bring you the spoons and the boots also to clean, she said, and the courtyard wants sweeping. In this manner she often spoke to me as if I had been a menial, because when I did my squire's duty with the weapons and the armour, I would not let her so much as touch them, which she much desired to do for she was by nature as curious about these things as a boy. So for show and bravery, I tried the edge of my own sword on the back of my hand. Nell Kennedy laughed aloud. Hairs on the back of a bairn's hand, quoth she. Better try your carving knife instead on the back of a horse's currying comb. But I knew when to be silent, and she got no satisfaction out of me and that was ever the better way of it with her, when I could sufficiently command my temper to follow my own best counsel. So the afternoon wore on, and before it was over I had time to go out into the fields, and also towards evening to the tennis court, where, to recreate myself, I played sundry games with James and Alexander Kennedy, good lads enough, but even better at that ball play which has no powder behind it. At the gloaming, the horses were ready and accoutred for the expedition. The tutor of Cassilis and I rode alone, as was his wont. So great was his trust in my courage and discretion, though my years were not many, and, I grant it, the hairs yet few on my chin. It was still March, and the bitter winter we had had seemed scarcely to have blown itself out, so that, although the crows had a week before been carrying sticks for their nesting in the woods of Culean, 
yet now, in the quick coming dark, the snowflakes were again whirling and spreading ere they reached the ground. As we rode through the courtyard and out at the gate, I heard the soft pit-pat of a foot behind us, for I have a good ear. I heard it even through the clatter of the hoofs of our war-horses. So I turned in my saddle, and there behind us was that madcap lass, Nell Kennedy, with her wilicoats kilted and a snowball in her hand, which she manifestly designed to throw at me. But even as I ducked my head, the ball flew past me and hit Sir Thomas's horse, Ailsa, on the rump, making him curvet to the no small discomfort of the rider. What was that, think ye, Launcelot? my master asked in his kindly way. It might have been a bat, I made answer, for it was, at least, no use bringing the lassie into the affair, in spite of what she had done to me that morning. Besides, I could find out ways of paying my debts to her without the telling of tales, and that was always one comfort. It is a queer time of year for bats, answered Sir Thomas doubtfully, but he rode on and said no more. I kept behind him, ducking my head, and appearing to be in terror of another snowball, for the ground was now whitening fast. Nell Kennedy followed after, making her next ball harder by pressing it in her hand. So we went till we came to the far side of the drawbridge, and were ready to plunge into the woodlands. Then I gave the whistle, which tells that all is well on the landward side, and is the signal for the bridge to be raised. Gabby Gibcat heard and obeyed quickly, as he was wont to do when his master was not far away. At other times he was lazy as the hills. The bridge went grinding up, and therefore the Gibcat would immediately, as I knew, stretch himself for a sleep by the fire. So there I had Mistress Nell on the landward side of the drawbridge and the gate up, with the snow dancing down on her bare head, and her coats kilted for mischief. I lagged a little behind Sir Thomas, so that I could say to Nell, whose spirits were somewhat dashed by the raising of the bridge, Step down to the waterside, and bring up the three bottles of canary, or go over to the farm, and keep the greaves lass company. She may perchance be lonely. So waving my hand and laughing, I rode off and left her alone. I hoped that she cried, for my heart was hot within me because of the good things on which I had expended all my saving, and which I had in all kindliness meant to share with her. Yet we had not reached the great oak in the park before she was again by my side. Think ye I cannot gang up the ladder and the white tower as well as you, Spurheel, it is just kilting my coats a kennin higher. And I could have bitten my fingers off that I had forgotten to pull it in again to my chamber, for in the morning I had mended and dropped it, not knowing when it might be needed. End of chapter 3